0: All right, Josiah likes the pitcher, so we're we're good. Today we are starting in Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be in Ecclesiastes probably up until around Christmas time, is my assumption. But as we started with uh, Revelation, we started this little prayer thing, and I think it helps center. It helped us center us on Revelation. But we're going to we're going to pray this one. It's a little di- bit different. In uh, Ecclesiastes, but we're we're going to pray this together, and then we will, um, and then I'll read today's text. But will you pray this with me? Lord, give us life as we seek you and your kingdom with a whole heart, as we attempt to fear you and keep your commandments. Let our life be found in Christ, led by the Holy Spirit as we walk in the arena of God's great mysteries. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. So, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit nervous to start the book of Ecclesiastes, because... Uh, many have said this is my favorite book in the Bible. Like, and many have come to it during critical times in their lives. And quite honestly, like, I hope that it adds to your love of Ecclesiastes and doesn't take away from it. Right? That we don't try and iron some of that out. Ecclesiastes um, is one of those one of those books in the Bible where uh, it's meant a lot. To me, and it's actually been very important in my life, and I haven't heard it preached that often. I've heard a few preachers preach on it, but I haven't heard it preached that often. How many of you guys have come to Ecclesiastes in a time in your life when you really needed it? Okay, all the adults, Josiah has, he says, I think so. But when I was 22, I moved to Hawaii. And it should have been this wonderful time in paradise, right? It's God's country with just me and Jesus hanging out. But it was actually a time of uh, one of my darkest depressions. I went there to be close to God, but I had never felt like more distant from God during that time when I was in Hawaii. Uh, but before I went, uh, a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, wrote me a letter as I left, uh, as I left for Hawaii. And, um, and so I stuck it in my bag and I had read it when I was on the airplane traveling over, but I hadn't really paid attention to it. And in this note that my friend wrote, he said, he said, read Ecclesiastes and about, so about nine months after I'd been in Hawaii wondering what I was doing, I reread this note that my friend sent to me and I discovered Ecclesiastes in its full form. And being in a deep depression, I would say that this reading of it uh, changed my life. I agreed with all the talk about meaningless and vapor and vanity or whatever word is used that different translations have used there. It made a lot of sense to me. That felt like my life in Hawaii. And, 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 but then there was this. There was an end of the matter. Or as I remember it in my mind, it was like, so life's meaningless, but. And there was just always that hanging there, but it was revere God and keep his commandments or fear God and keep his commandments. And that's it. A light bulb went on for me. I was like, well, if this is going to be meaningless, I'm going to fear God and I'm going to obey him. And after that first kind of real reading of mine as an adult, well, I was 22. So you can argue if I was an adult or not later as an adult, I attempted from that moment on to really live my life for God. It was almost like a a reawakening to the Holy Spirit that I'm just going to do what He has. And it's gone well at times. There were times when I really followed God, and then there's times when I miserably failed, as we all do from time to time. But as we get into this wonderful book, I'm excited to see what God might have for us uh, here at Grace and Mercy during this time. To set up this book, I've kind of juxtaposed or like put up against this book, the entire uh, the entire book from a verse in John. In John 10.10, 10, it says this, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And then Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And Ecclesiastes says that, like this verse here, that it's all, all is vanity, all is meaningless. And so Jesus tells us that he wants to give us life, And not just a meaningless life, but a life that's abundant and full and rich and lived with him. So the question is always then, how are we to live? How are we to live as we walk with Christ? And I believe, I fully believe that Ecclesiastes will help us walk closer with Jesus as we strive to just be with him. Like uh, we started in Revelation, we are going to begin our time in Ecclesiastes with A prayer each and every week. This prayer will help us center our life on Christ. Since, um, since you know, we sing the song "All Else Is Sinking Sand," we need our faith to stand secure in Jesus. So, if all around us is fog, we can be certain with Jesus. And as we deal with all this meaninglessness in life, we also want to know that Jesus brings us together here to deal with our heads and our hearts and our lives and how we work and how we walk. So. My prayer is that this prayer that we prayed will help us do that. And I'll I'll read it again, and you can just kind of hear it. Lord, give us life as we seek you and your kingdom with a whole heart, as we attempt to fear you and keep your commandments. Let our life be found in Christ, led by the Holy Spirit, as we walk in the arena of God's great mysteries. We want the abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10. Amen. We want that life. And I hope that this prayer will remind us that our life is found in Christ as we try to seek out the Holy Spirit. And the meaninglessness will, help, uh, will, will serve to give us hope rather than cause despair in our lives. And we come to this book, though, because we need wisdom. Amen? We, we need wisdom. Because our lives are not uniform. Neither one of us have had the same experiences. No, no one person is exactly the same. Like the conversations, I love the conversations that we're having before church today. Because it was really like, uh, we're not the same. And yet we want to serve the same Jesus. And we want to live with that integrity as we walk with Christ. We all have similarities and we all have differences right? There is no one size or one way that fits us all. So how do we determine our next step with Jesus? In, in this, we need wisdom because it's helpful for that. Amen. Wisdom helps, if you think about it this way, wisdom help, helps recreate us into Christ-likeness, and that is our hope. If we are seeking life, and not only life, but life abundantly, Lady Wisdom will serve us well. Her fruit is a, is a well ordered and peace filled life. That's what Lady Wisdom is always inviting us as as the Chronicles of Narnia would say to go further up and further into this life of faith that we get to live. And may we learn from her and always grow, adapt, pay attention, and learn. And and I love that well, wisdom is the key. One of the key things in this. Uh, in this, um, this book, and wisdom is portrayed as a woman. And I love this especially because, um, because, uh, because a woman is a living being, right? Like, that's one of the things that I really love about this, and it's that the woman is a living being, that you can learn from her, you can listen to her, she can give you instruction, and you can either heed it or reject it. But you can, you can listen. And this gives dignity to women and to the wisdom through the ages as well. And I, I love it because wisdom uh, have held up half the sky. And their wisdom is, a good way, it, wisdom is a good way to describe how they've done that in a world of folly. And I love that wisdom is attributed uh, as a, a woman, Sophia. Wisdom recognizes wisdom. It's like the, the same game-recognized game. Wisdom recognizes when somebody else is wise. And wisdom also has a desire to seek out more wisdom. Because it also recognizes the folly, and the folliness around us, in, even in our own lives. And then it instructs us how to avoid it. And a lady wisdom is all throughout this book. And wisdom helps us live a cohesive life full of integrity. And we can have moments of wisdom, even in a foolish life. Amen? There are foolish people that have done wise things and, and, and vice versa. And, but one of the things I love uh, about wisdom is that you don't need money. You don't need power. You don't need influence. You don't need education. So you can be illiterate and still be wise. And you don't need documentation such as like a, a driver's license, right? Or, or a, a certificate or anything like that. You don't need any of these to sit at the feet of li- Lady Wisdom and have it benefit your life. And I love that about wisdom. Is that it, it doesn't cost us anything to learn and grow. But here in this text we get into the words of the preacher. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. This first verse is setting us up to listen. Not only uh, not only today, but throughout the entire entirety of the book. It is inviting us to hear and listen. I've always been taught that uh, this book was written by King Solomon in his later years. How many of you have been taught that? Most of us, right? Well, this could have been, but... At the same time, it's been debated in uh, recent years, and it seems that Solomon had died when, and then this book was written um, using his name in the form of a book called Gilgamesh. Have any has anybody heard of Gilgamesh? Oh yeah, people in my house because because I have read it and I, it's around sitting around the house. But this, um, but instead of like uh, Gilgamesh. Um, it was written with Jewish wisdoms and Jewish teachings. So like the principles of the Israelites would have been in there. And so Gilgamesh is the oldest known story that predates much of the Bible. It, and, and they found it in uh, archaeological digs and stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. And it predates Ecclesiastes um, uh, to, to, uh, in a significant degree. And if you, were, you had the time to read the two of them, you could see why many scholars would believe that Ecclesiastes is based on Gilgamesh. Um, but it's like a Gilgamesh for God's people. And it's really cool to see it. And um, and I, I guess I want to just recognize this. I want to recognize this because I, I think, like, I just want to be honest with it. And as I was studying, I thought, okay, like most of the scholars were saying this. And so I got Gilgamesh and I read it. And I want us to acknowledge though, that it might not have been written by Solomon. That's okay, we don't have to think that. But, we are supposed to think it's written by Solomon. That's why this is in there. It, we're supposed to think that it's written by Solomon, regardless if he did or not. Because, so, if we can imagine that Solomon writ, wrote this, then we know that we're coming to sit at the feet of wisdom. Many believe that with age comes wisdom, right? And while that's not always true, it is true for wise people. As they keep seeking wisdom, they keep gaining it, and there's a lot to be said for a wise older person. And we will need to listen to the wisdom of what the Bible calls the wisest man who ever lived. So as we go through this, we're supposed to think that Solomon wrote this because he was full of years and he was full of wisdom. And not only that, like when he says, I tried it all, we kind of believe him because he, he lived a pretty crazy and full life. But here's what the, the preacher says to us. And we get to listen to what he has to say. And as we get into it, the preacher is actually a word that is used in the ESV uh, and um, it's called, there's other words that preacher, teacher, speaker, depending on the translation, but it's Kohelet. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that's the best you get. Kohelet is a preacher, a teacher, a speaker of a gathered assembly. And this is a title that is like, when this person's up there, you're invited to listen. And the book starts off w- with with this, that it's not just um, Helen F. Davis suggests that Kohelet is not a name, but a job description. But but part of the job description comes with, it would be a job description in a gathered assembly. So part of the job description is this gathered assembly as well. That not only are we supposed to listen to this wisdom, we're supposed to listen to it collectively. That in, in, in this, in preaching, before we get into the kind of some of the collective nature of it, uh, Preaching shouldn't take away the ebbs and flows of life. Preaching shouldn't seek to smooth out everything or come up with all the answers. Preaching should live in the tension. That's what Ecclesiastes does so well. Should give us strength to walk and walk in uncertainty that is all around us and we can have and yet we can have certainty of Jesus at the same time. And so that's what the preacher's job here is. And it's a major point of uh, Ecclesiastes. But one point of emphasis, it is, it's written to with the assumption of a, an assembly. It's not written to individuals per se. I think so much of our, our context, we come and it's like we go away from church and we read our Bible and we do our studies. And it's kind of like us in Jesus' time, which is good. And we should, I think that's, it benefits us. And a person should be able to benefit this, but it's a gift from God. If you think about it this way, it's a gift from God to the assembled people. And then it trickles down into our lives personally. That's the way that this is supposed to be set up. So the preacher's preaching to the people and then the people take that away and live at home. But we can, um, we can help, it can help us personally, but we learn it in the assembly And we're shaped by one another in that as well, because as we sit there and we think through and we pray for others and we kind of do this Christian life together, like uh, we benefit from others' thoughts as well. (laughs) And I also love that this book is a book of poetry. I guess we're in Revelation, and that's a little bit of a book of poetry. And then we were in Psalms, which is totally a book of poetry. And now we're in Ecclesiastes. I'm just knocking out all the, uh, before we get into something uh, more rigorous, I guess, but... (laughs) I find uh, poetry to be rigorous, but poetry has intention with words. And, and it has intention with words that other forms of speech or writing do not. Poetry suggests that the la- suggests that the, the language was carefully so- selected. And as I learned again from Ellen F. Davis that the language used in this book is not like academically rigorous wording. It is written in a simple language and it is said in a simple way that it is said that somebody with a first year's vocabulary of Hebrew would know every word written in this book. So it's simple. It's a simple language that might be understood by the greatest amount of people and bring the most amount of benefit. And I love how God does this. We come to this book for wisdom and understanding. And it is simple enough for us to understand it. And yet, at the same time, it, in, it brings in all the complexities of life. One of the things that, in reading through and preparing for Ecclesiastes that I see is that this book talks about a huge variety of subjects. In it, right, worship was one of the biggest subjects that we see in Revelation. Worship is in this book. Money is in this book. Sex is in this book. Food is in this book. Wisdom versus foolishness is in this book. Enjoyment and how to enjoy this meaningless life is in this book. Life and death and how we look at it are in this book. Opinions about others and how we're supposed to have, or what, how do we see other people is in this book. And so, and I'm sure th- time will tell, this is not all that's in there. But I'm looking forward to the simple words about the complexity of it all. I think God's got us here, and maybe it's because we're simple, and we just need it simply put to us. And I don't look at that as a bad thing. And as we learn to walk this life with Jesus, we cr- quickly realize if we examine our life, and by the way, Ecclesiastes invites us to examine our lives. But if we, as we learn to walk with Jesus, we realize that so much of it is worth worthless useless. Or as Ecclesiastes puts it in ESV, vanity. Or others use the word vapor. I use all those words interchangeably because that's the way it is. And yet, even though it's just this idea, we still walk. We still travel. We still live life and seek the truth of Christ in, in it and through our lives. And in this, we need Jesus' help. We need Jesus' help as we walk through the fog of this vanity. Jesus has come to give us life and give it abundantly, and we need to learn how to live it abundantly. Again, because life is not uniform. There is no one way to live for Christ. There are times and places for everything under the sun, Ecclesiastes tells us, and this leads us to live and let live, and let live uh, to a certain extent. And there will be folly in this world. And we will participate in our fair share of this. Amen. Uh, But enough of it not to stand as judge over another person's folly. We need to come to these simple words and learn wisdom and get direction. And I think here's why. Life is uncertain. You know that tomorrow is not promised for us. And yet God is sovereign, He is over all, He sees, He knows, and He cares about it all. But we know very little, because much of a life is a mystery, much of life is uncertain. We are not promised certainty or ease, but we do get to walk, and God walks with us, or rather, we walk with God in this life. The words of this book are humble and urge us to live humbly before God. And as we get into it, this book will say seemingly contradictory things. And I believe that this is intentional. And I think it's intentional because it wakes us out of our state of religion and moves us into relationship where things are alive and intention is actually there. Religion says there's only one way to follow Jesus. And the teacher will say that's my way. Live like me. Here's five easy steps to have a closer walk with Jesus. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that it's one way to do it, not the only way. And then, when, when religion comes, religion goes on to argue that this is the best way to do a certain thing, and yet we don't live in religion, we live by grace, and grace invites us into the vast wildness of human experience. There are many things, many ways to follow Jesus, and we need humility and we need wisdom to discern where we are to go and what we are to do. Even the apostle Paul said that. For some to eat food of idols is okay, but it's not okay for everybody. So this breaks up our religious mindset. And it, uh, the contradictions are meant to set us free from our one-way-fits-all. Everybody needs to live for Christ the way that I do, period. And it invites us into this larger life of grace. So this book was written with humility. And so we come to it and listen to it with a humility. So before we leave today, we're going to look at this word vanity or vapor. The word is used here is habel. And it's used 38 times in this book. So it's a pretty major theme in this book. And it can connote something empty or futile, unsubstantial, or incongruous. Right? Incongruous. Did I say that right? Vapor is a word that is shifty and hard to nail down, like the fog. Right? Much of it... Uh, much of it suggests that um, we can't really grasp it, It, but yet it's used with an amazing amount of certainty. Like, no, if there's one thing I know, it's that this is a fog, that this is a vapor, that life is this way. And so it's funny because the word is used with far more substance than the vapor it actually talks about. And I found that this word is not a western word and when i say western i mean western world this idea is not a western idea we like things to be a certain way we like order and direction and certainty we like having uh here's the question what's the answer i'm going to find it and then we we move forward from there and hebel is leading us into a world of uncertainty where like like this this picture like we don't know where the road goes We don't, we, we, it's leading us into the, into the fog and it starts off and it's just basically like God saying, trust me, I'm in the fog. Well, I can't see you right now. I know Just trust me, listen to my voice. And so this book starts off with this thesis. All of life is vanity or all of life is vapor. All of life is Habel. Vanity or vapor is a metaphor that is supposed to open our hearts and minds to the silliness and the meaninglessness of life not to take ourselves too seriously. We will get into this idea in great detail in the weeks to come, but I want to put it out there like this. Life is full of ambiguities and uncertainty. Ambiguity is a noun that means the quality of being open to more than one interpretation. And uncertainty means the state of being uncertain, which I love. That, so we just don't know. We don't know. There's more to this life. There, uh, there is more to this life that is ambiguous and uncertain than we'd like to admit, amen. And we just get to walk in it. And is is if God is as big as He says He is, then there's far more ambiguity and uncertainty than we'd like to admit. There's far more. I spent a lot of time looking at the stars this week and going like, if each one of those is a sun, and they might actually have planets around those sun, then what is man that you are mindful of him? And there's more to God than meets the eye. And I believe if we live in this wisdom and if we seek after lady wisdom, it'll help us find a full life, not a meaningless one. So this will be our task in Ecclesiastes, to find life in the midst of the mist, to find life in, that, to find life in the vapor. And this text, these texts will help us live an abundant life that Jesus is speaking about. Life is so meaningless. This is Karina's thought, actually. But life is so meaningless, yet so full of meaning at the same time that we need the Holy Spirit to lead us in this life of vapor. We need to lean on the Holy Spirit to lead us during our time through this wonderful book of Ecclesiastes. One of the preacher's main tasks here is to invite us into the uncertainty, and and into life. And this is a hard lesson. But as I began to preach in earnest, I thought this is one of my tasks as well. It's why I allow for different interpretations. It's why I think I'm okay with different things. But here's how God taught this to me. When Mo and I were in Texas, we had a number of things going on at the same time. We were trying to plant a church, trying to start a business, trying to... Uh, I was trying to blog 1500 times a day, like uh, something like that. I mean, it was just ridiculous, but I, in the behind it all, I was having a real hard time with my dad. My dad had actually come and visited a couple of times there, but every time I talked to him on the phone, it was just like, um, he was generally irreverent about life. Uh, he was hard of hearing, and what I mean by that is he wasn't deaf, but it would be like, hey, will you please not? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I won't. And then he continues doing whatever he wants. So he was hard of hearing from a heart perspective. Um, He was extremely inappropriate uh, uh, and a difficult guy to love because he always made you feel like he was proud of someone else but never proud of you. Like he was always trying to measure you up to people, and it was a, a difficult thing And so I was wrestling with my dad, the thoughts of my dad and how to act and and be towards my dad during this time. And then in January 2014, I was preaching through 1 Corinthians and Paul said that he had grace for the church in Corinth. And if you know the story, it was, I imagined that that church was just about as screwed up as my dad. Like, and that's how it went in my mind. And it was um, during this time, it was January 6th and 7th when I was really, really wrestling with this of 2014 and through 1 Corinthians and my new found understanding of grace that there may be a third way that you don't have to tolerate it and you don't have to dismiss it, but you can just show grace in the midst of that. And I knew in my heart on the through the 6th and the 7th that I was going to extend grace to him. And I was letting this settle in my heart, and I was waiting to call him. And honestly, it was the first time in my life that I was willing to apply grace to my dad. So I set in my heart to call him on January 11th, 2014. Late night of January 10th, so the day before, Mo and I were watching a movie, and we got a call from my sister screaming into the phone, Pops dead, Pops dead, Pops dead. I'll never forget it. I was certain that I was going to call him with my whole brand new heart. The day, the day before, that day while we were watching the movie, I had peace in my heart that I was just going to call my dad and tell him that I love him. I wasn't going to discuss anything or bring it up. I was going to let him be him, but with a newfound heart that I had for him. And I was certain that I was going to call him on Saturday, and his Saturday never came. Tomorrow's not promised to us. I learned that. Very much, and very hard lesson that day. Fast forward a few months, and because of this death, we were back up here in Washington. Actually, it's, it, uh, uh, there, there, there was a bunch of rumors on why we moved back. But honestly, we moved back because the day I got back from my dad's funeral, someone said, do you feel like Texas is home? And I had to say no, and so I needed to move home. But as we moved back up here to Washington, I started reading The Pastor by Eugene Peterson for the second time. And I was finding much life in it. I was finding much direction in it. I was finding a ton of wisdom in it. But at the end of the book, there's an afterword. And the afterword is called a letter to a young pastor, of which I was at the time. Now I'm just a pastor. I'm not old one. I'm not young one. I'm just pastor, <laughs> yeah. like somewhere, somewhere in the middle of it. But I was very young at the time in, in being a pastor. And he told the pastor that pastors do much in the way of escaping the reality of ambiguity. The work that they do, the people that they serve, the theologizing of all the different things, uh, the preaching, and the way that they busy their lives out of the reality that tomorrow is not promised. They plan their way out of it. So what I heard was, that's not my task. I get to live today for Jesus one step at a time. And I think that it's fitting that we are in Ecclesiastes. I pray that the Holy Spirit will invite us into the ambiguity and allow us to live an abundant life. This sermon series is entitled Ecclesiastes, Looking for Life in a World of Uncertainty. Right? As we walk around with our masks on and stuff like that, like think back to 2000, beginning of 2020, Right? If you would have told me six months later you'd be have to wear a mask everywhere you go, I'd be like, "What happened?" But still, that that it, let that serve as an analogy for us to walk humbly in that we don't know. May even in the midst of that, may we learn to live with hope, even though tomorrow is not promised. May we not grow in despair, but instead grow in the ways grace and wisdom as we are led by the Holy Spirit to walk in the arena of God's great mysteries. So Jesus, I pray that you will be with us. I pray that you will help us. I pray that you will speak to us. I pray that the wisdom that you have orchestrated in the book of Ecclesiastes will speak to our hearts and our minds, that it will shape us and teach us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.